Welcome back everybody to the Uncensored CMO. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the advertising industry has a problem with age? Now, in my experience, the majority of marketing departments are run by people under 40, sometimes the majority even under 30, and that's reflected in creative agencies as well. Most of your creative work is being done by people who are probably averaging the age of about 30. Now, is that a problem? Well, when we look at our screens, there are far fewer older people representing advertising than there are younger people. Now, I think that's a real problem because um, if you look at the statistics, people over the age of 55 represent the vast majority of wealth in the UK. They have enormous buying power, lots of disposable income, and often a bit more time on their hands to spend it as well. So it's such a shame that we as an industry are neglecting a very significant part of the population. Now, it's interesting to note recently that Mullen Lowe have released a new report called Invisible Powerhouse, looking at the lives of over 55 and how we can market to them better. In fact, over at System One, we're also about to uh, release uh, an update to our feeling scene work called Wise Up, again looking at how representation of older people in advertising can make them feel better and you know, lead to more sales. So I, I caught up with Jeremy Hine, he is CEO of Mullen Low in the UK, to find out why, why write this report in the first place, what the key insights were, and what every advertiser can do to improve the representation of older people. Because I'll tell you one thing, we're all getting there. So uh, whether you like it or not, you will be in this demographic. So uh, it, it is in your own interest, if no one else's, to understand how to market more effectively to the older generation. So here you go, here's my interview with Jeremy Hine. Jeremy, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Lovely to have you. Well, look, may, maybe, you know, my, my kids are always very proud of telling everybody how old they are and even down to the month. So I, I thought we'd introduce each other. How, how old are you? I'm 52 and I will be 53 in August. Well, congratulations for, for August. So I'm, I'm 47. I'll be 48 in September. So it, it puts us both fairly, well, fairly close to the, the line that defines what some people would describe as being of the older generation, where you start to no longer be represented in the 18 to 34 category or the 35 to 40 category, the, the, the amorphous over 50s that seems to kind of capture everybody. Um, but fascinated by your new Invisible Powerhouse work that you've put together. Tell me what inspired that. I think uh, a number of factors, really. I think one was the industry as a whole. We noticed that uh, reports were being done by IPA and other bodies as well, and assessing the diversity of the industry. Of course, diversity in terms of race, diversity in terms of sort of age, diversity in terms of sort of sexuality. And the biggest disparity between the national average and that of the industry wasn't race, wasn't sexuality, it was age. You know, I think at the time it was something like 17% of the working population are over 55. With advertising, it's about sort of 4 or 5%. So this got us sort of thinking a little bit more. And then, okay, if that's our world of advertising, how do those over 55s in society as a whole perceive how they are portrayed? And what is their approach actually to, to age as well? And as an industry, are we servicing them well? Or are we missing a trick from not just a communications point of view, but from a commercial point of view for our clients? I agree. This is such an important topic. I mean, just referencing back to the feeling scene work 
that we did at System One a mm. year ago. What, one of the things we discovered, which is why I'm so glad you did this, by the way, is that when people are represented in advertising, they feel better and, and they feel more strongly towards the brand that's portrayed and, and, and ultimately are more likely to buy the product. So it just seems to me, just from a pure mathematical kind of, you know, put, put aside the moral argument, but there's also quite a good business argument for this, isn't there? That actually, if you can portray people in advertising better, we know the spending power of older people is significant as well. Th- th- there's also an economic argument as well as a sort of social justice one, isn't there? I think definitely. And I think that's where we had a duty of care, I suppose, to try and represent this group well, but a, a, a duty of care to, you know, our clients. You know, 47% of the population, just under half of the population, are in their 50s. You know, that group have about six trillion of assets. You know, almost 70% of the wealth held in the UK by this group. And the worrying thing is, from an expenditure point of view, by, we think, by 2040, they will spend 63p in every pound spent in the UK. Wow. So that's why we've sort of termed, termed them the invisible powerhouse. They, they feel invisible. They don't think they're represented to the, the research you did, probably not represented in the right way. Mm. But they have the income and they are a massive powerhouse from a commercial point of view for, you know, brands and expenditure. Now, another thing I found interesting about your report is, again, when we did Feeling Seen, what, one of the things we learned actually was, for example, when you bundle people together in a group, LGBTQ+, for example, but you speak to individuals, they're like, well, I don't want to be represented by this much larger group of, of diverse people that doesn't necessarily speak for me. What, what did you find in terms of how older people perceive themselves or do, do they, you know, can you sort of split them up into you know, subgroups. Yeah, I think we seem to lump together the sort of 55s to 85s. I mean, that's, you know, that's a huge age spread. And I think we would all say, you know, that's the same bracketing as 25 to 55. Of course, Mm. 25 year olds feel completely different. So why are they being chosen differently? And I think it was, you know, A, they're being lumped together. And I think the other thing is none of them will refer themselves to old. I spent the day with my dad yesterday, who's going to be 90 in July. And we had the you know, discussion over lunch. And he said, you know, I, I don't think of myself as 90. I'll probably think about myself as sort of 35. And mm-hmm. that's the way we decided to approach this. So rather than it became a sort of age bracket, we approached this by segmenting that group into attitudinal uh, mm. perceptions. And from that, we came up with a sort of seven different types of, you know, consumers or groups within that, because, you know, age is irrelevant to them in some ways because of the attitude they have. Yes, they live, live different lifestyles. They have different interests as, as a 30 year old would have to a sort of 50 year old. So to segment them attitudinally and be able to dig deeper and talk to them that way, just as a, a lumped group together does make sense it's funny actually one of the insights that profoundly struck me from years ago i mean we're probably talking at least 20 years ago i went to a, a talk by the chief designer at jaguar back then the average buyer of a jaguar was 65 so pretty much retiring and he had an interesting comment he said to understand the 65 year old today you need to understand the 25 year old of 40 years ago and and the way he illustrates it which i thought was fascinating is he he showed bear in mind this is a while ago he showed how they designed the gearbox in a jaguar to resemble a meccano set right in terms of like the, the big holes the chunky kind of metal changes and so on and, and i thought it was a really interesting insight that that basically you you, you evoked the the kind of 25 year old 
in, in, in the typical audience because you're right we don't want to be seen well we don't want to be necessarily portrayed as our age or be reminded of our age the other, the other one that used to make me laugh actually on a personal level was my grand blesser when she was alive she was incredibly active in the community and you know she was probably 85 at the time and she referred to her old people that she'd go and visit and make sure they're okay and I once said to her, I said, Grant, you know, how old are these people? And none of them were older than her. They're all younger. You know? But she refused to be defined as old. And she's happy to say other people are old, but you, you, you couldn't bundle her in the same group. So, you know, even though, you know, you might be similar age, you still got different, you know, different sort of perceptions of, of age. And I think you, they, you, you, you can remember the youth that you've lived. I think this is quite interesting. We were discussing is, you know, I'm sure you know, in discussions of our children about how they should approach life in bits and pieces. And, you know, Dad, you just can't understand. Well, I have been 20, 25 before. I do know what it's like. Yes, the world was a slightly different place, but I can speak some, some form of knowledge having been through there. Whereas if we're asking 25, 30-year-old creative people to write a commercial for a 60-year-old, you know, possibly with some sort of personal challenge, they just don't have that frame of reference. So I think we need to be very careful with how we approach that. But yeah, old people don't want to be told they're old. Yes, they no. know that bits might not work so well and they can't run a half a marathon like they used to and a little bit of, you know, ailments are, are waging in. But their mind quite often is so focused and ticked on, up to date, lots to give, yeah. great commentary and, and very useful for us as a society. Definitely. Well, there's, there's two points actually that spring from what you just said there, which I think quite interesting. The, the first thing is the rather obvious point is that we're all going to be old at some point. So when we talk about different, you know, different diverse groups, very often it's hard to kind of put yourselves in the shoes of somebody quite different to you. But actually with age, as long as something tragic doesn't happen, we're all going to experience it. But the other thing I was going to ask you about as well, coming on to the report that came out from WPP, I think a year or so ago, which is quite shocking. I think I'm right in saying the average age of a WPP employee was under 30 and only 8% of their employees were over 50, which, which going back to your point of you want creatives to be able to, you know, imagine or at least have an empathy with the people they're advertising for. How do you do that when the people that are employed to make the advertising are nowhere near representative? I think we need to evolve that a lot at the moment. Yeah, I think we need to sort of split out those brands that have a aspirational younger age versus those that do target a, you know, an older consumer. I think with it as it stands at the moment, it's quite a bit of sort of talking and trying to understand and not being afraid to go out, talk to this group, speak to them, how are they feeling? As part of this research study, we interviewed over 200 people as well as building on the Cantar stuff and got some really fantastic sound bites about how they feel, how they want to be portrayed, how they don't want to be portrayed. And all that really needs to go into a brief to brief the creative teams to do it. The other thing I'm thinking about, and I think we need to do more, is, is there must be a whole army of more mature creators out there that would like to do sort of bits and pieces and, and bring them in on, you know, respective projects to do this. As I say, they've been through it or they're living it now. They can understand and, and provide much clearer insights to that. So I would like to see a, a larger number of the older crew, you know, maybe sort of freelancing and doing a few bits and pieces well, well when i read the report I, I couldn't help thinking of that film the intern did you see the intern hilarious but the but the combining of you know a very successful young person with you know somebody who thought their career was over we, we just brought you know lots of comedy but also lots of wisdom as well and mm. i just want to whenever I, you know as a client whenever i've been in kind of creative pitches very often creative agencies tend to have pairings don't they so you get like you know 
kind of creative pairs that present to you. I think in most cases I've been involved, actually, that's been a case. I've never seen a, an older and a younger person paired together creatively. That that feels like a could help answer this because then you're getting two different perspectives on the creative work as well. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you probably put the brief into several different teams. You know, a sort of a younger, more junior team to have a good crack at it and provide some sort of a different point of view, some fresh impetus. You've also got the older creatives, maybe that have got a bit more grey hair, have been around the block and get to an answer more quickly. But again, we would normally put the brief into sort of several teams within the agency to try and get a sort of a broader mix of stuff as we narrow down in terms of refining the creative approach. So, so I can see the benefit of that, but w- what about, I mean, something else I've experienced, this isn't just an agency thing, by the way, because it's exactly the same on the client side. Well, one of the roles I had when I was running Luke Aid and Ribena, a marketing director team of 50 to 60, I think, something like that. I, 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 I don't remember the exact statistic, but it might have been about 75% or 80% of my team were under 30. It was quite amazing. And, I, you know, I was late 30s at the time. I mean, I used, to, I used to wonder where on earth do people go in marketing? I mean, I just didn't understand because unless you were the marketing director, there were very, very, very few people, you know, over the age of 40 in the team because, of course, people were always moving on to the next thing. And, you know, recruiters say, I want two years experience. I want five years experience. No one seems to go, I'd really value 25 years of experience. So how, how do we change that? Because I, I, I genuinely don't, I don't know the answer is, is to where does the talent go? Yeah, I think that, that's a very good question. I, I think sometimes people think more junior people are more affordable. And with so many commercial pressures on clients and agencies these days, you know, probably is a little bit of sort of false economy. But if you're paying a you know, a brand director of 35, he's going to be more affordable than a, it's a, a sort of semi-retired brand director of 50. So I think, sadly, the commercial reality has a, has a thing to that. I think, you know, marketeers that get older, I think some of them sort of work for themselves or work in consultancy. I think we've seen people move around into different sectors and different areas now. Um, I think clients probably have a, a wider spread of sort of older people. You know, having a, a good chat to Sarah Bennison a couple of weeks ago from sort of Nationwide, she felt she'd transitioned from agency side to client side and felt she fitted in a bit more because there were a few other people more of her age there. You know, in the larger companies, obviously going up to sort of board level and wider, people just tend to be, you know, that 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 little bit older. So they must be there somewhere. It's a, it's a good point. We need to sort of dig them out. Maybe there's well, a sort of a business yeah, I, opportunity for us in uh, the over 50. There must, there must be there, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think there's a stigma, isn't there? It, you, you, you look at somebody... Let's say they're in their 50s and they're in a middle or junior management position. You, you probably think, what's wrong with them? Because surely if they were good, they would have progressed by now. But a lot of people don't have that. They want to be very good at their jobs. They enjoy their job. They don't necessarily want the responsibility and pressure and, and lifestyle that comes with, with kind of going up the chain. But it's so rare, isn't it, that you see people that are older in the more junior middle positions and that's probably something we need to need to change because as you say the the you know the value for money equation is quite the experience you get for for the money is is incredible not to, you know in addition to the representation and insight that you'd get as well i think you know people who have been doing this for sort of 30 years have a lot of experience they've been through a lot of scenarios a lot of ways into this and i think you probably would get an answer more quickly you know people say well they don't understand you know modern media or technology well Come on, guys. They've been through all sorts of different aspects of sort of, you know, technology change, and it's not that hard to grip. And you've got some youngsters around anyway to, you know, furnish in those areas. But these people are pretty savvy and pretty switched on. Yeah. 
Well, the, the other thing I tend to find as well is, is you get a, a real understanding of how marketing works as well and not necessarily distracted by the shiny new thing, understand some of the fundamentals and principles of, of marketing, will have seen, you know, would have seen social media arrive and, you know, all that kind of thing. So I think the, the balance you get as well is also quite powerful. So you, you launched a report very recently. What are the big insights that you know people listening can apply to their brand, or if, if they're in, you know managing their brand, or or as from an advertising and communication perspective, what would be your advice to people now to make sure that they get age representation done well? I think the learning from this group, the fundamental thing really is to is to see them first and foremost. These people are, exist, they are important, they are an important part of your you know, customers. Just make that you see them there. You know, yes, we probably want to portray a younger usage or, you know, a more sort of aspirational target. But these people are there. Make sure you see them, really understand who your customer base is and portray them, you know, represent them, show them in the real light, show them other realities of their life. You know, I think that's very important with them. And... If you are going to represent them, engage with them before the process mm. of formating the brief. You know, they want to be treated in a very much sort of authentic way. Their life stage is different. The way they behave is different. Just sort of portray them very well. I think also an interesting thing and absolutely true with this group is they want to be entertained. You know, yes. in, 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 the, yes. in, in the older group, before a lot of the sort of social media channels, we'll remember the... I can't say the heydays, that's wrong. But you know, <laughs> commercials in the olden days, whether that was sort of Stella Artois or something on the very cinematic, fantastic production values, a lot of the work was humorous. They want to be entertained. They're grown up with that in terms of longer formats and so on. And the sort of top bits don't really sort of work for them. So find a way to sort of entertain them. They, they were from that, some of that sort of golden era of advertising and they know how to consume it and they know how to decode it. And I think the last point is, is, is work with them, you know, get them to input, really understand the media channels they're consuming, why are they consuming, when are they consuming them, and, and, and give them a chance to sort of input into that. So those are the sort of very sort of top line, top five things we notice are sort of coming out in the best way to we need to do for this older age group. Yeah, no, I love I love that. And as I said at the beginning, actually, what, what, what struck me was how similar that was to the what we did at System 1 with Feeling Seen is you know if you represent people in advertising they feel better but again it's not about changing the rules of advertising because en entertainment is you know getting the fundamental advertising right so entertaining having a good story being authentic all those things are, 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 you know yeah a true skills advertising which is so important um give me an example if you can i mean either from you know the mullen no kind of body of work or, or elsewhere that give me examples of advertising that you think do that very very well I think one close to home for us would be a new commercial that we've released for Magnum, you know, all of the sort of the, 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 the strategy of pleasure, which basically features all old people just enjoying themselves, mm -hmm. enjoying the pleasure in a very sophisticated, beautifully sort of shot way, you know, and just showing a way to sort of mix up different formats to do that. And that's done very well. I think the some of the Airbnb work, you know, the beautiful commercial of the old couple away, they're away on a holiday having a laugh you know, running around, mucking about with each other, getting on with what they do. I mean, you know, if you didn't see old people, you could write the script exactly, I think, the same for, for young people. And that's a true yeah. articulation of them doing it and being fairly represented to it. I think you can get more the sort of the, the there's, a, there's a commercial for a German pharmaceutical or, or chemist company of a sort of older guy, just fitness training. And he's fitness training basically throughout all this commercial, just so he can lift his granddaughter up 
to put on to the thing. And oh, actually, it's, it's, it's great seeing a, a more senior citizen, and this guy was about 85, actually get younger yeah. through the commercial by the oh, exercise he's doing yeah. and the input and all that sort of thing. So I think they're doing it, 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 pretty, it pretty well. Those are the ones I would recognise immediately. Oh, that's great, actually. And it, it, it does feel that, you know, we are, we are starting to see that kind of work, aren't we? I mean, if I, if I go back five or ten years, I struggle a bit, but I can think of some good examples. Amazon, I think, have done some lovely work. I mean, the priests and imam, I think, yeah. a beautiful, real, you know, authentic story of, of two what would on paper be very different people, but mm. senior sort of, you know, roles in society. I think that's interesting. And I love that. I don't know if you saw it. There's, there's an Amazon Echo ad, which is quite sweet. Quite an old guy and his, I, I'm assuming his grandson that comes and checks up on him. And he realises his favourite song's Valerie and he, he gets he gets Echo to play Valerie when, at six o'clock when his son turns up. So, you know, again, breaking down the stereotypes of older people can't use technology, but also the inter, interrelational uh, exactly. relationships yeah, yeah. that you get which cool. is so powerful because that's the thing you know we, we're all part of families you know we all we, we all have older people in our lives don't we and they're very formative and and, that, and they're, the bonds are very very strong i mean you know like the grandparent as you talked about the grandparent bond is incredibly strong as well and and to be celebrated i do wonder if that bond was stronger may i maybe i'd say this but whether we had sort of simple lives or didn't go abroad so much when we were kids or you know you were shuffled off to your grandparents for a couple of weeks in the summer and I think lives now are so busy I just wonder that you know the generation is spending less time with the with the older audience which I think is a shame you know I heard a, a lovely story from a friend whose father's in a nursing home and a school comes in every week to do arts and crafts you know and they sit in the old people's home and the old and the young mix up these pieces and bits and, and does it and the young actually get more from it than the older people do. You know, I think there's that in 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 Holland. You know, old people's homes are offering you know ten rooms for university students just to come and live there, and they just hang out with the older people and help with this and help with that. And the camaraderie and the bond that is coming through by mixing these two generations, I think that would also help the younger generation here probably better understand you know the the more elderly population within within the UK. That's that's a brilliant idea. You you just triggered a memory actually because I, I when I was growing up I used to do I used to deliver firewood in in the village I lived in. I used to it was my little hus side hustle outside of school and uh, so I had a number of regular customers. One of them was this very old guy. He fought in the war, and I, I probably was the only person he saw all week. And whenever I whenever I delivered the firewood, he always said come in for a cup of tea, and he would just the stories he'd tell me. I, I was like captivated. I mean, honestly, it's like. It, 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 you know, it was his highlight, the fact that I just gave five or ten minutes to chat sort of thing. You know, and all I did was sit and listen. But, the yeah, what you can learn is just, you know, it's the sort of thing that when you get a bit older, you go, oh, I wish I'd recorded some of that. Or, you know, I just didn't realise, you know, n you know, meeting someone now that's lived through the war, they'd have to be 101, wouldn't they? But, you know, back then there were plenty of people that had, that had lived through that experience. I think there are so many fascinating stories in the same, on a bit of a tangent, but in this same nursing home, this lady just turned 100. And they put pictures of her life. This quiet old lady that has always sat in the corner, she's quietly done her own laundry. She was at Bletchley Park. She spoke five languages. She decoded this message in translation in Italian. And her boss said, no, you're wrong. She said, no, no, I think colloquially this, actually they mean this. And he went, okay, fine, we'll go with it. And that saved 2,000 lives on ships wow. through, you know, through the trade routes because the German U-boats were going to bomb in this way. So 
I mean, all these things you learned about her life that you would never know. And so my, my godson, you know, sat with her for half an hour and chatted away in bits mm. and pieces. It was absolutely fascinating. So much to learn. Oh, that's brilliant. It just goes, you know, particularly with old people, we forget that they were just like us. They had yeah. responsible jobs. They had families, you know, that, that, that they they contributed to society, running of governments, all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. I, I used to love listening to my grandparents talk about the war and, you know, air raid duty and in London and that kind of thing. It's just fascinating. Yeah, mm. really, really good. Um, talking about the sort of stereotypes and assumptions as well, in the report, you talk about media consumption as well and some of how media consumption varies or doesn't vary actually by age. What are the, what are the insights there about media older people consume? Again, it came down to there was quite a breadth of difference with the, the, the seven attitudinal segments that we had in terms of the media they consumed, whether that was the TV consumption, you know, some very news orientated, some more sort of entertainment oriented in terms of sort of newspapers, even with the more tax, ta tech savvy ones reading the newspapers online, you know, that was quite a sort of mixture in it. Social media, you know, still there, a little bit of sort of Instagram and other areas, less in terms of other sort of social medias. Others tended to avoid the media in some ways anyway, because it was, you know, too much made them fed up and all those bits and pieces. So it was actually sort of quite an interesting spread. There still is quite a lot of sort of leaning towards television as you'd expect and newspapers and magazines and more so. But, you know, they go on YouTube, they want to know the how-to videos, find out what's going on, get tips in other areas. So there was a bit of a difference, but I think you would still use more sort of traditional media to reach them. The, the watch out that were, that would be is really understand the different segments to yeah. really tighten if you wanted to go, you know, if you were after sort of one of the security seekers was one of the segments we had, which was about sort of 40% of the population. They're quite sort of um, anxious and quite worried. They're a little bit sort of, you know, short term in their views. If you really want to target them specifically, look into the media for them. Don't just block book the, the 55 to 85 assumptions really go sort of tighter on what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, it, no, it's, it, it's smart because it's such a big group that the danger is we assume that, you know, they're, they're all just in TV and Facebook and they wouldn't possibly do YouTube, Instagram and TikTok or whatever, you know. Well, it, it, oh, I don't use it much, but even I've got a TikTok account purely just to follow my daughters. So, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the motivations might be different. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm TikTok every day watching stuff and what's going on, which, you know, we have to do a bit like you know, what Tom Goodman was saying. You've got to have time to see what other people are doing. You um, do, you do. You know, my boys are posting, the right word for TikTok, I'm not quite sure, but they're putting content up. Not that I ever would, of course. Well, well the, my, my contention on TikTok is that it, it, it's actually, in one sense, reinventing filmmaking for a younger audience because what it, what it brings is like filmmaking, filmmaking and editing and soundtracks, all the things that make advertising great, you know, tell a story, good actors, put a soundtrack in, you know, have, have, have a point of view, all the things that make advertising great in, in a short space of time is there in TikTok. So I, I, in one sense, I, I feel quite encouraged for the future generation because I think we've got suddenly these amazing filmmakers, you know, influencers that, that are going to be the next creative directors. Yeah, I think they're having to sell uh, or tell a story in a very sort of short time slot, you know, and with the, the capabilities they've got to put graphics on the background, images on the background, so much more in a bite-sized chunk. You know, we know skim culture amongst the youth today, they're used to mm. one headline, maybe two lines. You know, our parents would sit down and read the newspaper cover to cover. This lot haven't got time for that. Just give me, give me a soundbite, let me move on. I've consumed that right next thing. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And and having done the work on it, and and, and thank you by the way, because it's it, it's really it's really valuable work. And I'm hoping actually, from a system one point of view, we we're about to launch our own feeling seen older demographic kind of work coming up which would be looking at how specifically older people respond to advertising when they see themselves and the do's and don'ts as well mm. we're trying to get into the craft of getting it right yeah. you know because that's what we learned with the original study actually was for, for example it's better not to try and tell a whole group story it's much better to tell one person's story authentically because one of the things we learned is even though you're not represented it doesn't mean you can't feel and experience what they're going through so i mean the classic one I used at the time was um, Nike did this amazing um, toughest athlete film which had lots of pregnant women mostly you know black and Asian pregnant women exercising through pregnancy and childbirth it's very inspiring and what we found is when we tested it amongst black women is black women felt the emotion more intensely because they weren't used to seeing themselves in advertising but mm. also it felt very real because it you know it was an experience that they had been through and and so on but what was amazing about it is everyone else also felt the same emotion. It wasn't as intense, but it was definitely everyone felt the same happiness. They felt the same joy and, and you know, it, it, it worked very well. So why we got to one of the conclusions is that diverse advertising actually unites us. That if you tell good stories, you actually appeal to everybody. It's why we go to the movies, isn't it? Like you go to the movie, partly, you know, Top Gun's coming out, but but part of it is, oh, I wonder what it'd be like to be an elite airline, you know, an airline, sorry, an elite fighter pilot, you know. And and, you, and then the joy of storytelling is you don't have to be the person to then get an insight into what it's like. And and so that, that that's, you know, that's why I'm particularly excited about the power of advertising, because then that's we can bring empathy for the audience we can you know you know we can tell older people's stories really well i think that comes back to the point of genuine representation and with a message that is is is, is relevant and it doesn't necessarily just have to be relevant to that tight target because you said people can feel it and i think that's yes. absolutely true and i think that's one of the problems that we found is i think only 12 percent of ads feature someone over 55 you know, and they're just they're just not being represented or to the point you made earlier, stereotypes. They're either sat in a standard chair lift or they're a silver fox eight year old triathlete. You know, there's no sort of middle ground to this. They're either that I know that's sort of probably pushing it a bit far, but that that's the reality of, of how they're portrayed and it and it's not it's not normal. And they yeah. they feel therefore they're not truly being treated with respect, they're being ignored, or they're not being treated the authentic way of how they should be. And, and authenticity, I think, is it, isn't it? Because I think a, an authentic story represent, reflecting the, the lives of, of those people, you know, j just means that as, as, you, as you watch, you just feel that emotion, you feel the experience with them. And I can't remember quite that there was a Tesco ad with older women, I think having a party on the beach or something. I, I, I need to go and look up again. But I remember, you know, I'm not in that demographic at all. But I absolutely loved it because mm. i saw the joy i saw the relationships between the women and that's that's the power of you know advertising done well yeah treating them properly i mean this is a bit of a tangent but i can't wait for top gun i'm from me too I, I i yeah well because well, i because it, it was the first film i saw at the cinema so i so weirdly for me it's just like unbelievably exciting because i'm i'm now 13 again you know yeah my, my father was a, a fighter pilot and my brother was a fighter pilot and tom cruise is 60. are you going to tell him that he's older over 55 i mean how well that's a very around? very i mean how he keeps in shape i've got no i i whatever he's doing i want some of that because mm. the, the the fact that he can still do his own stunts 
uh, is just impressive. Yeah. But, but it makes the point, doesn't it? Is that, you know, you, you isolate, you know, Tom, age 60, and what comes to mind, right? Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're thinking silver hair, taking it a bit slow, time with the grandkids, going on a cruise, right? You go yeah. Tom Cruise, age yeah. 60, yeah. and suddenly Hollywood superstar flying, doing extremely dangerous stunts, extremely mm. dangerous stunts on his own, yeah. you know, flying his own planes uh, in a great risk yeah. to himself. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, you know, incredible. I know there are extremes. You know, Richard Branson's, what, 75? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't. I mean, he's aged, but you wouldn't think of him that way. So, and there are no. load, loads of non-acting, but Tom Cruise-esque types in, in in that area as well. Well, one thing I want to ask you about was it, it, it's easy-ish to get that male kind of role model, like you know Arnold Schwarzenegger, still looking ripped at you know I don't know how old he is. He must be in his sixties. You got the Toms, you know. Is there a different? Does society treat women differently in this case? Because I don't find it as easy. It might be because I'm a man, but I don't find it as, as easy to point to those kind of great role models, older women examples. Yeah, I think that is absolutely true, and I think that is unacceptable. Yeah, we we found that women started to feel they became invisible in communications at about the age of fifty-five. You know, we can always put out role models, but I think that's probably sort of the slight way of doing it. Is, is, is it the Helen Mirren or, you know, but I, again, I think they're sort of slight examples that aren't necessarily right. They they have to be portrayed in that. Yeah. You know, there was yes. a part of a study that we did with Grandsnet looking through all this and they, they were saying, we're just not there. We're just not shown. Mm. We're just not mm. represented. And that's something that we all need to work hard to address. Definitely. Yeah, um, I mean, we had the uh, we had the launch of this, and there was you know a, a lady I forget her name who was fantastic who started her own company at seventy two for decent glamorous clothing for for women. He said, you know, mm. we're seventy, we're seventy five. Don't we want to look good? Of course we do. Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we look glamorous? Why shouldn't we dress up? We still want to feel good about ourselves and portray ourselves in a good way, just because we're a little bit older, a little bit more senior, you know. And, and she was saying there was no real market for this. And her business has taken off and, and doing and doing really well. That that's so inspiring. I, I wish I kept the statistics here. The old age kicking in. I can't remember as much. But the the average age of people that start their business and go on to become I can't remember if it's millionaires or billionaires. I can't remember which it is. But when you look at the distribution curve, it's amazing how many are actually in their forties and fifties. We kind of assume because I suppose you know we've all seen Stephen Bartlett become the youngest ever dragon. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we tend to hear about those people more, don't we? Because they're exceptional and therefore assume if you haven't done your thing by 50, it's, you're past it. So it's really inspiring to hear hear those stories that, you know, you're never too old to, you know, to get to give it a go and to make a success of something. Just, okay. just, just, just quickly before we round up, I'd love it if, if you'll indulge me just for five minutes as well, just because yeah. we were chatting earlier, weren't we, about COVID and uh, you were the agency of choice for the government during COVID. So I thought that was quite fascinating. Did you, did you pitch for that business or, or did you get invited into the government to help them? We, we got invited in. We were, you know, as you know, agencies have to be on the CCS framework, the government roster to be able to do yeah. that. And we'd done a lot of work with the NHS. Over that time, I think, you know, it, it was so early in the process. It was just February. No one really knew anything about COVID. And I think another agency had been trying to do some work to sort of get the messaging right and it wasn't quite landing. So we were called in saying, can you just look at this thing called COVID and see if you can get some messaging out there? We did some work very quickly and in the course of sort of one or two days that was pushed into research and resonated with people. So then we were off and running and, and 
the messaging then got so fast of dis of different messages we had to push through that you know a, a team of our guys were you know in the cabinet office cabinet meeting room at the time very early on in the stage and then moved into the um the cabinet area to to work with the civil servants and some of the ministers and putting this stuff together so it was a very very intense 18 months the volume of work we got wow. through some campaigns we were translating just for the uk into eight different languages for you know because we have such a sort of diverse yep. society in here to the land really specific you know maybe racial or social groups that weren't responding to some of the behavior or the that was an issue wasn't it yeah Someone, yeah you know really drilling tight into them through sort of social media and very targeted activities and at the beginning again as i was saying when we were all locked down i think we made an announcement on wednesday someone suspected had a a case of COVID. We had all our remote working protocols ready and we never came back. So suddenly all the design, all the creators are working at home, the producers trying to find ways to film things, trying to film Chris Whitty uh, in a studio, I think with one operator and a director, <laughs> that was it. No one else was allowed in, you know, really sort of closed off sets, but it was a phenomenal journey going that process with, with members of the, the team. And I'm incredibly proud of my team. We were talking about sort of saving lives. One of the yeah. work projects we worked on was the NHS app and trying to get people to download it. And it wasn't just us, but a whole member of the team. And I think it's been attributed in research that those campaigns and the, and the work people did to download the app saved over 7,000 lives. It saved really? over 850,000 infections. And I think it was wow. the most downloaded COVID-related government app in, in the whole of Europe, twice as big as the next country in Europe. So things like that, to be able to take part in, which we do believe was saving lives, was, you know, incredibly proud and, you know, a massive achievement mm. for the whole team, both on our side and on the client side. Well done. Well, that, it puts into perspective, doesn't it? When, you know, you say you work in advertising, people assume you're just shifting a few extra packets of crisps. But in, in that case, wow, that's putting advertising to very, very good use, isn't it? Uh, just intrigued to know, did, did you... Um, did you have any dilemmas about working for the government? I mean, I know we don't want to be party political about these things, but was was that a decision or was it just a case of the nation is in a crisis? It doesn't matter. We're going to do what, uh, you know, because because I guess that, that was the feeling in the country at the time, wasn't it? It did feel like for once partisan, you know, issues got left beside, you know, and we were kind of in this together. I mean, it didn't continue that long, but, you know, there was that feeling. Was, was that your experience is that everybody was happy to help because... It was all for the good cause. Yeah, I think that's the case. I mean, it, you know, we were we were working for the government at the time. Had it mm. been a different government and a different group of people in power, we would have done the, the, the same work and totally impartial about, you know, getting the message out there at a time where no one, no politician, no cabinet leader knew where this was going, what was happening in governments also all around the world. I mean, we were sort of really yeah. feeling our way doing what we thought was right at the right to, to make that work. And I think, you know, you're right, the the parties pulled together very much in those early days because it was, a, it was a, you know, a terrible situation to be in. So, you know, we didn't see it as a serving any one political party. We were serving the government of the day that needed assistance with the communications and be able to connect through powerful mm. work to the British public. Wow. And what, what, did, what did you learn through that experience? I mean, already from what you've just said there, you had to be very agile. You had to test as you were going. You had to work presumably in collaboration with lots of other people, put aside, you know, individual agendas. But what, what did you learn through what is a pretty challenging brief? I think, you know, I wasn't at the coalface. I think we had some brilliant people doing that. But I think 
I think a lot of people in, in advertising learned of what you could do remotely, how effective the mm. communications could be, the real speed and agility you had to move. You know, decisions yeah. almost have to be made instantaneously. You know, there was there was nothing really from the client saying, oh, I think we might go away and have a chat about this and we'll research it and we'll do preview groups. And no, this has got to get out and they've got to move fast. And, you know, some quick dips we're doing, you know, overnight. Yes, this message yeah. is primarily right. And the clients and agencies working in tandem, I think the different agencies respecting each other's disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a, it was a, it was a, you know, cogs working together. And if one sort of, you know, wasn't quite there, it fell down and everyone felt that. And I think the real sort of sense of spirit with that. So speed, agility, decision-making, belief in the work, you know, understanding you might not get it a hundred percent right, but it's better to get something 90% out there to change behaviors or inform than waiting for it to be a hundred percent right. Yeah. Amazing. Isn't it? How, how, a a big national crisis can actually solve a lot of the issues that we have as an industry disappear like you know we don't work collaborate with another agency or you can't possibly give us one week to solve this problem you know all those things that we kind of moan about and and so on yeah suddenly when there's a, a major problem you know all, all the you know all the issues go out the window but it's, it's, it's impressive so well thank you on behalf of everyone yeah. listen just, just just as we close where if people want to find out more about invisible powerhouse where can they go to get some resources and get some help? Uh, I think it's to come to us directly at Mullen Lowe. I think that would be the thing to do. Our, probably the best way in is through Lucy Taylor, who is our sort of chief growth officer. She will be able to direct you in the right way. And, you know, John, for the research you're doing in the next phase of the study, if you want to come in and chat to some of the senior strategists and people that inputted to that, that would be fantastic. That would be ace. And, and I think having seen what you've done as well, there's a lovely compliment. I think you, you you do more work on the understanding the audience. And then what we do is get into the fine tuning of how to make sure the communication lands. So it's lovely, actually. I think it'd be a, a lovely complimentary bit of work. Jeremy, thank you so much. It's, it's great to have you on. And, and thanks for sharing uh, your experiences. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. It's been great. Thank you. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you ever so much for listening to The Uncensored CMO. It's a real pleasure having you with me. If you like what you hear and you don't want to miss a future episode, please do go and subscribe. You can do that over on Apple and Spotify and never miss an episode. Um, also, if you'd like to leave me a review, please do. I really do value it. It's great to have your feedback. Uh, honestly, it does mean a lot to me. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time if you can do so. If you want to follow me, uh, I'm over on Twitter at Uncensored CMO and I'm over on LinkedIn, John Evans, that's John without an H. And I look forward to joining you next time. Thank you very much.